when I was in seminary, uh, I, I, I had a friend who classified miracles on a scale of 1 to 10. And one, class 1 would be what some would call coincidences, you know, that occur in people's lives. I found my keys. That miracle never happens to me. Uh, or, or maybe, you know, if I would have, I was going to pass this car, but I decided not to, and there was an accident. And if I would have passed that car, I would have been in that accident. And I hear these things all the time. That would be like class one or two, something like that. And, and if you are from a secular worldview, uh, you would label these luck or lack of luck, that you beat the odds, uh, and, 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 and so you're a very fortunate person. And we have a, a story here at Bergen Park Church. If you haven't heard it, I, I've just got to tell it, because we have a class two miracle. It came in our Sunday school. Uh, several years ago, a three-year-old boy, uh, in his Sunday school class, they were asking about miracles. And the question was, uh, do you have any idea what a miracle is? And the little boy wrote, raised his hand, as three, and he said, my mommy says if I ever get potty trained, it'll be a miracle. <laughs> well, we've used that one, but I've got to tell you the rest of the story. Because uh, a few months later, they moved to California. And his mother came to him, and, and, and she said, look, I, I, I think you need to know this. They don't sell your pull-up diapers in California. Now, it was a lie, but a motivational lie. And he got so afraid that he went out and potty trained himself that week. So by the time they left, he could say, a miracle has occurred. Now, you see, that's class one. And I want you to understand, keep that one in mind, because we're going to go back to it from time to time this morning. We, we move on and we talk about, well, what are some bigger miracles, uh, class four to class six? And, and among those would be miracles such as answered prayers, healings of all types of illnesses. And then you get to the class 8 to 10, and you'd be looking at uh, crossing the Red Sea or Jesus looking at, um, at, the, at, at, at the sea that is just boiling with uh, wind and waves. And he says to it, hush, be still. Just hush, be still. And it's calm. I, I don't know about you, but I would have been frightened not, I mean, more of the calm than, than of, you know, than of the, the, the seas. So the resurrection of Jesus, a class 10 miracle, maybe class 11. I'm told by my uh, old journalism teacher that when you do uh, 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 headlines for a newspaper, the bigger the event, the bigger the type. And it goes up to about 72 points. Now, I realize we've digitalized everything, and I don't know what it would be today. But it goes up to 72 points. So uh, 9-11 would have been 72 points, or war would have been 72 points. But I'm told there's one thing that's even larger than 72 points that is a class 10 miracle, the return of Jesus. And they have it there waiting. In other words, there is a moment in which they will do the larger uh, headline. So... The most recorded miracles in the Bible occur in three separate seasons. In the days of Moses and into Joshua. In the days of uh, Elijah and, and the prophet Elijah and Elisha. And, uh, and the miracles of Jesus as it goes into the Acts of the Apostles. These were powerful and they were numerous and they were concentrated. 
And I still believe in miracles today, especially healings, as I've known them occur, and God sightings in our lives. And, and I know I'm looking forward to that last day when Jesus returns because I know there'll be great miracles. The, the scripture talks about that, both counterfeit and real miracles that will just sense, put us in a sense of awe. Now, I'd like to give you two other classes because most of you spoke of the class of miracles that, uh, that I think we want to remember. There's two other, you might say, classifications, two categories. And the first are those miracles that you were sharing are the ones that we would like to see happen. We would like to see them happen. Let me share some examples. Um, A leper comes to Jesus. And all the leper says is, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus' answer was very simple. I am willing, be clean. And he leaves healed. I'd like to see that happen. I'd like to just say, you're healed. Your cancer is gone. You're happy. (laughs) You're rich. And all it takes is a word. Those are the ones that make you feel like God is in your pocket, right? And he's just doing all these wonderful things for you. Jesus does these miracles with nature. Uh, Moses, as we were sharing, water in the desert or the quail that were provided or the manna that was provided. And, and, so, and Jesus does these with uh, certain individuals at certain times in his ministry. We would love to see these happen because they show power in our prayers and it affects others. They're wonderful things. They, they remove suffering in people's lives. But we also know that these don't happen as often as we would like them to. And if you go through Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and I think as you look into where we are today and what's going on today, I think you'll find there's a second category of miracles, the ones that God often gives. And I've uh, chosen one out of uh, Joshua. We're going to be looking both at the New Testament and into Joshua today. But when Joshua says to, uh, to the Jews after they have crossed over the Jordan River, which stopped for them, not, not the Red Sea, but the Jordan River, because it stopped also. And they crossed over on dry land. And so once they're all the way over, except for the, uh, the priests who are holding the Ark of the Covenant in the middle, this is what he says to them. Choose 12 men from among you, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and carry them over with you, and put them down at a place, at the place you stay tonight. This is the other type that God often performs, and we'll have to say he most often performs, is to have his work done through his people. And his people, it costs them a lot. It, it takes some risk. Now, when God opens the Red Sea for them to cross over on, on dry land, um, you, you might say, gee, what, what would I rather do? In other words, I have the Egyptian cavalry coming after me on one end, I know what they're like. And I have the open sea with the, with the walls and the dry land. And, and which seems the most risky? Uh, I, I'm, I, I, I don't know what you would have felt, but if I was there, I'd say, I'll take my chances with the cavalry. This is scary. It is awesome. I've never seen anything like it 
happened before. So uh, I don't know what they would have done, but I think they walked across looking very carefully at each side, making sure that it didn't collapse on them, and it waited until they were across. Now, the same occurs in Jesus' ministry. Let's take uh, the feeding of the 5,000. You know, he, he takes the disciples and, and, and he says, well, we're going to feed them. And he's, he, the emphasis on the we or you feed them. And they were the ones involved. He, he did the miracle, but they were the ones involved in the distribution. And they were the ones who had to clean up afterwards. So it was a, a, a nice clean hillside. That took a lot of work. It involved all the disciples being quite busy and being quite tired at the end. There's, there's another one. Uh, Jesus teaches from a boat, and it happens to be uh, I, uh, Peter and, and Andrew's boat. And, and so he teaches from a boat, and he had to teach from the boat because um, the crowd was pressing in on him. So he borrowed their boat, got out on the shore, got out on the water a little bit. And when it was over, he said, now, thanks for lend, lending me your boat. And as a thank you gift, I'd like you to throw your net out on the other side of the boat, the, the deep side. And, and their answer was, we've been fishing all night. Didn't catch anything. No, we're not going to. We're done. We're done. Boat's free. We're done. But Jesus persuades them and they do it. And the catch is so big that they're working like crazy to bring it in. They're afraid their nets. Hey, they got to bring another boat in. It's one of these great examples of God at work, but God is at work and you are the ones who are getting sweaty in this miracle or you're involved in an elbow grease type of miracle. You see, God is at work, but so are you. You are working with him. Why does this happen? Why, as you look at most of the miracles in scripture, why is it that he has his people involved, not just people watching him? He has... Believing participants, not just praising spectators. Perhaps the miracle I think that Jesus would say, I love the most, was when he did it through his disciples. And he says, I'm gathering you together. I'm going to train you to go out to the villages in pairs. You're going to be in twos. And, 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 and you're going to go and I'm going to teach you to preach. Which, by the way, they... they it's not easy, right? Okay. I'm going to teach you to preach. I'm going to teach you to cast out demons. And I'm going to teach you to heal. And you're going to go to village to village to village. And I'm going to stay right here. Well, uh, he did the training. It was pretty long. You can read it in Matthew and Luke. Uh, more than that, they went out. And God worked greatly through them. It was truly amazing because they had never done anything like that. They were feeling the flow of God come out of them. So they come back, and and, and here's basically what they're saying. You told us what to say. You told us what to do. We said it. We did it. And the most amazing thing, God, is it worked. I don't think anybody was more surprised than the disciples. It actually worked. And I can just imagine Jesus there giggling with joy. First of all, I told you so, which he never is listed as saying. But that attitude of I told you so, but this is true. You will never be the same. Because of that event, 
where you see, where you saw God using you, you will never be the same. And I say this often. These are one of these sweaty miracles, or I call them elbow grease miracles, where God does not do the work alone. He's doing it through you. So when God works alone, understand, he gets the glory, such as the calming of of, of the Sea of Galilee, and you worship and you're in awe of him in terms of what he can do. But when God works through you, he gets the glory and you get the growth. Your faith will never be the same. When people go out on a mission trip, and it's the first one they've ever gone on, I, I said, look, when you come back, I want to promise you something. While you are there on that mission trip, the chances are it'll be difficult. Uh, You will live under different sort of conditions than you like. But when you leave, you will leave some people encouraged, maybe even growing in the faith. And go for it. So people will be encouraged. But I think the most amazing thing is that you will never be the same. You will never ever be the same because you took that risk and you saw God doing his work through you. Now you might say, God doing his work through me. That's not even class one, is it? Yes. If you've lived a life where God does nothing through you and suddenly he is, come on, three, four, come on, at least, right? For the first time you see that happen, you think it's a 10 because you've never seen it before. So what is it when God wants to work through his people and do whether it's anything from class one to class ten, what is it he wants to do where where these are the ways that he usually works? What is he asking from you? It's, uh, It's not too different from the Jews as they cross the Jordan River. There's three events when they cross the Jordan River that just prove that God's at work through his people. Uh, They're crossing the Jordan River to take possession of the land. Just like the Red Sea was uh, parted, the Jordan River was stopped upstream so they could cross on dry land. And as they did, they got all the way through, and Joshua at the other end says this. Now, I want one man from each tribe to go back into the Jordan River, right there where the priests are with the ark. And I want you to pick up a stone. And I want you to take that stone and bring it back, and then we're going to put them into a pile. Now, hearing this, if I was one of the 12, I probably would have said, say that again. What? I want you to go pick up a stone. And the idea was not a stone. The idea was something so big they had to put it on their shoulder and walk away. The other idea is that it probably should look like a river stone, not not another stone, so it's really smooth. And each of them would walk out. What? And, And then he says, I want you to put the stones right here in a pile where you camp. What? Can't we just get stones somewhere else? No. I want you to use these stones as a memory, because people are going to look at them in that pile and say, you know, why this pile of stones? Well, those are river stones. We got them from the bottom of the river. But we got them from the bottom of the river when it was dry. More than that, every time you walk by, you're going to see it. But the next generation, they're going to walk by and they're going to ask, 
this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Why, why 12 stones? Well, son, I got a story to tell you. And it's the most amazing story you've ever heard. And you would talk about how the whole nation of Israel went across the Jordan River on dry ground. Amazing. So God blesses their labor. And there's a pile there. But when you think about it, rightfully so. Is it that big of a deal? Yeah, pretty big. Because it's going to be memory stones. You know, this facility is not the same as crossing the Jordan on dry ground. I'm not trying to put it up there in class 8, class 9, okay? The Jews were slaves, and we were chained to a facility that had so many limitations we couldn't do ministry. The Jews risked annihilation. Most of us just risked inconvenience and a shaky future for our old facility. Our backs have never been against the Red Sea. We've never crossed on dry ground. But God asks in some ways the same things from us as he does for them. He asks for trust and he asks for obedience. Here's the second event that occurs. Uh, so they're going to say, in the future, when your descendants ask their fa- ask their fathers, you know, what do these things mean? Tell them Israel crossed on dry ground. So they have all of those there. They, they've lifted them up. They've put them in a pile. And now every generation can look at that pile and ask that question. The second thing that occurred in Joshua 5.10 was this. Uh, the evening of the 14th day, they've crossed. They're now in the promised land. They've crossed the Jordan. And it's the 14th day of the month. They're camped at Gilgal on the plains near Jericho. And the Israelites are told to celebrate Passover. Now, something amazing happens. Now, Passover is not one of those what things, but um, something happened right after that Passover. They took the Passover, had the lamb, they had the bread, which was provided by the manna. The bread was provided by the manna. So they ground it and they made it into their, their flat bread cakes and they ate that. And, and, and so they celebrated the Passover. It says they got up the next day and went out and there was no manna for the first time in 40 years. And that was the last time they would have manna. What? We've gotten our daily bread for 40 years this way. For most of them, all my life I've had bread this way. What? And God says, I'm going to teach you something that you have never learned to do. Farm. You are going to become farmers in your new land. And you have depended upon me. Now you're going to watch me bless you, but it's going to be through your holy sweat. You're going to take over this land and it's going to produce wonderful things for you. And I'm going to bless you. But you've got to trust that this is the way it's going to happen. And you've got to obey. You've got to plant those things in rows. Farm your own grain. Plant your own crops. Uh, you know, tend your own vineyards. This is how it's going to be. What? No more manna? God, you're making it hard on me. Third thing that happened would be probably seen as fairly foolish today. And, and I can just imagine how I would have responded. But um, the third thing that happened was the taking of Jericho. Again, another miracle where God steps in. But the instructions are amazing. 
He says, for six days, you're going to take the whole army and march around Jericho and do nothing but march. Do that for six days. What? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. But something even stupider is going to happen on the 7th. So they, I guess they do this, and probably about the fifth or sixth day, at least it was me. Oh, you know, we've done this. It's so tiring. And, and I'm just going to leave my shield at home. I don't need my spear. Uh, forget about the bow. We'll just leave the weapons at home. But, but they do it, six days. But then on the seventh day, this is the instruction, Joshua 6, 5. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets... Uh, certain of the uh, certain priests are carrying the trumpets. Have all the people give a loud shout, and when they give the shout, the wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up, every man straight in. Okay, you're in a large group. They had six hundred thousand warriors. That's a pretty large group. So you're in a large group, and you're given this instruction. You're going to march around this time seven times, and on the seventh time. When you hear the trumpet, shout. What would you have done? What would you have done? This is what I would have done. I'm not going to shout. That's the stupidest thing. it It would be so showy. It would be out of my character. I love to be in charge. I don't shout. I don't shout at my home. I don't shout at my work. I don't shout in my fields. I just don't shout. I'm not shouting. That's what I would have done. I thought it would just be... It's almost like being back in junior high again, isn't it? I'm not going to do that. But the rest did. The rest did. They marched around seven times. They shouted at the end of that one, and the walls collapse at the sound of the shout. Now, only God could do that, right? I mean, only God could make that. Believe me, no matter how large or how loud you shout, only God could do that. And the walls come down, and they walk right in, and, and the, the opposing army behind the walls could not defend it. He often calls us to do something that is seeming, seemingly foolish or foolishness to show if we're going to trust and obey and go all the way through. Here's the help wanted assignment for this week. Very simply, if you can be with us at the weekend of the 14th and 15th, and if you can't, we certainly understand we're... We, We don't have a good boy list and a bad girl list. But if you can, I would like to just give you a half an hour training about what does it mean to host in an open house. It'll be so obvious you'll go, what? But just to make you feel very comfortable. There are other openings such as just making sure the food is going back and forth and whatever, but we really want you know, a multiplicity of greeters handling people as they come in and you being available when your friends and neighbors come in because you've invited them. And, and, and I, I, it's very simple. It's just a half hour. And if you do that, we will train and then you set up when you'll be there 
and, and you stand there until people come in and you get to talk to them and take them around. Or maybe they'll do it another way and we're going to allow them to do it any way they want. I, I want to say this because if you've been journeying with me for the last seven years, uh, I've been this sort of a person inwardly but not outwardly uh, in terms of my spirit because there were several times in which I was certain that this is exactly what was supposed to happen and things change. For, uh, we, we say we're trusting God and we, we believe that he has led us to a certain thing. And at first, that certain thing was an addition to our current facility. And then it changed. And I said, what? Do you realize how much more that's going to cost? What? Each time, it has happened more than once, each time we've done it, and I've watched many, many people be far more excited and ready to handle that change than I have. And I'm, you know, I, I'm embarrassed. Several people came and congratulated me today of opening, and I really thank you. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, I'm, but if you only knew, if you only knew that I was the one saying, I'm not going to shout. And I just had to be sort of moved along, moved along by God's Spirit to change plans and everything else. So here's what we're asking. For the next two weeks, tell everyone you know. There are invitations, like I showed you, in that brown square box. There are the posters or the, and also the newspaper insert in another box. And then this first look in the third box. Take them. Uh, especially hand them to your neighbor as something personal. I'd love to invite you to come with me. Just come and see. I'm going to be there at a certain hour. And, and, and uh, so what you're doing is you're saying for the next, you know, I'm going to be like the Jews who have to walk around several times. I'm going to tell my neighbors. I'm going to get some training either today or on the 8th. And I'm going to just tour people around. Take a one-hour shift or a two-hour shift. But just tell the people that you'll be there and you'd love to be their guide. Is that what? Can't they do it themselves? Yeah. But the idea is you make the connection. You build the relationship. That's all there is to it. Let's pray. Lord, I think first of all that uh, one of the things, the greatest miracle is that uh, uh, the sufficient results of your son's death on the cross for the forgiveness of all my sins. That I could have a restored relationship with you. And that's, uh, that's what we'd like to see happen because all we have to do is believe and you do the rest. But Old Testament, New Testament, and even the way we trace your hand working today, you're often using your people to do your work. And you do it in mighty ways. But it's through elbow grease that you do it. These are sweaty miracles. And I do pray that even if we just leave asking without an answer, that we're all asking the question. 
Am I in church to be built up or am I in church to be built up and sent out? Am I in church to be comfortable or am I in church to learn how to be uncomfortable and have you use me? Hard question. I'd rather be comfortable. But I don't see you using me as much when I am. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought us this far. We know there's more to do, but you've been so, so good to have us sitting here today. I especially thank you for the group of many, probably 40 or 50 people who call Bergen Park Church their home, who have done so much to see this happen. The 20 or 30 here yesterday, making sure that we could use this facility today. Um, There are other churches envious of what you're doing here. Envious. And for that, I thank you in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen.